Welcome to the show. You know what you're clicking on. Lucy, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It feels good to be uh, recording an episode late at night for me. I feel like I'm giving you a break from those early mornings. Yeah, it's actually the afternoon here. And it honestly, it doesn't feel that different. <laughs> I oh, thought really? it might. I thought it might feel different, uh, but it doesn't. One thing we forgot last episode, we forgot to do the weather. So what's it there? Is it really windy there? It is, yeah. We're in the middle of a, a big, another, I feel like I've said this a lot on the podcast, actually. We're getting loads of storms here recently, and there's a red weather warning for tomorrow. So I have to go to the office tomorrow, unfortunately, but apparently it's going to be super dangerous. So It seems like it's been that. windy all over the world, because it yeah. was stupid windy here. I saw people in Canada complaining about it, and then you mentioned it. If only there was somebody here from a major city that might be able to add into that. Who if is only, that? Right? Yeah, there you go. Go ahead. <laughs> if only. Hey, I'm Alyssa. Um, I'm in, based in New York. And right now it's like 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and it's obnoxiously warm for February. It's really unfortunate. <laughs> okay. you said And you said 60 degrees is like 15 Celsius? I think it's like 15, 16 Celsius. That sounds about right. Yeah, it sounds about right. Okay. Which I would not love. for February, I would though. love that. <laughs> yeah. <right> now. <laughs> well, that's what's funny. You're like, it is unseasonably warm. I'm like 60 something. It's, it's generally about normal. Here it's about 40 something, but it's stupidly windy. All right, that's enough weather talk. I think we covered it for a couple. All right, Alyssa, uh, tell us a little bit about you. I believe you have another podcast, but just general stuff about your Witcher fandom, how you got into it. Hi, my name's Alyssa. I'm the host and producer of Breakfast in Claire, a global Witcher podcast. Um, and I was also the creator of Good Morin, which was an illustrated journey, I suppose, uh, through the Witcher universe and through the books. Um, I got into the Witcher by... Uh, by playing the Witcher 3 game first. And then I went and read all the books, which I found were fantastic. Um, and then eventually started the podcast a couple of years later. So it's been about two and a half years since then. And I've been so blessed and so excited to have found this community and found this fandom as well. You were also on this special Netflix trip to New York that I went on. And I think I, I can't remember exactly what I talked about it, or I think I said pretty much what it was. But the biggest thing, again, that I want to talk about is I was the one being interviewed when that person was getting like mugged on the street and you <laughs> yeah, kind you of you kind of like saw it, heard it. Right. Right. OK, so what exactly happened there from an eyewitness perspective? And this is <laughs> as to hear about this, this is after we to reset it. This is after we just watched the premiere. We've been flown out to Netflix. I'm on the street right outside Netflix offices. There's these massive cameras and lights on me. And I'm asking these questions. And then when I'm done, two cops walk up and they go, hey, did y'all see something happening? And I'm about to say no, but Alyssa and the other person we were with said, yeah, something happened. So Alyssa, what was that? Yeah, I feel like there's like a small layer of additional context I should give. One is that I'm a New Yorker. So I live in the city. True, when true. Brett says they flew us out, I was already here. So this isn't totally new to me or weird to me. <laughs> uh, Brett was having his interview done. I was standing on the side with uh, one of the lovely people from Netflix. Her name was Jenna. And we were having a bit of a chit chat. And all of a sudden, we hear some shouting uh, out in the in the intersection. So turn around. And it was it was this amalgamation of like three different people coming to a head on the crosswalk. This is going to get very New York, so I'm so sorry. <laughs> but so coming south on Broadway uh, was this woman and she had like a very large tote bag um, and she was coming down the street. We were on a side street 
and a man came in front of her and tried to grab her bag and tug it and steal it off of her shoulder. Um, but when that happened, there was a couple directly behind this woman also coming south down Broadway, and the the guy just decked the other guy that was trying to steal her bag. Um, and then everybody went in their separate directions. The woman who almost had her bag <laughs> stolen kept walking south. The couple walked uh, east straight past us. And they left that man lying in a gutter uh, for about five <laughs> minutes. He was screaming uh, and groaning uh, right next to a mailbox and uh, disappeared at some point. Didn't, didn't she the cops showed up. Didn't she say that he punched him in the stomach? Yeah, so he... That's so much funnier to me. <laughs> so the guy, yeah, the guy came came down Broadway and then, like, just as he was coming through, smacked him in the stomach and then just, it's... they just kept going. Like, nothing stopped, which is, again, that. one of the crazier things about New York. And that's, and that's the thing. If he, if it would have been like, hey, stop that, and they start going and the guy just, like, punches him in the face, I'm, I'm like, okay, I can see that. But that's all I imagined in my head was this happening. <laughs> this guy goes to grab it. This other guy just walking by and without saying anything, just... <gasps> Just punches him in the stomach, and that guy starts rolling around. The other two are like, all right, we're out of here. And then everyone just leaves. Like, this is the most New York thing that I could imagine. <laughs> it really is, yeah. Yeah. I think, like, the thing about New York is that people assume that it's a very unfriendly city, and that's not true. It's just people have places to be. So if you ask people for directions, they'll tell you, but they're not going to stop walking to, like, let you know. So they'll shout the directions at you uh, from continual paces away. <laughs> Uh, until they're gone it's amazing the first time i was there this was in 2004 it was me and my mom and we had the map out and i'm like we need to get out of the way so we kind of step aside and we're looking at this map and this guy comes up and is the most new york i mean it'd be the same if you came up here and i'm like oh howdy y'all where y'all trying to find <laughs> it this guy comes up and you're like oh what are y'all trying to get with it he's like he, i mean he's dropping well, forget to about it well no he's dropping like oh forget about it like he said that and i look and i'm like holy shit they actually say that it's the same thing as people no saying like that. i'm telling you the guy actually said it i could not believe it maybe he's just the most italian person ever mm. i don't know maybe he was this extra in the sopranos because that's now the second straight podcast i've brought sopranos up on but yeah again i couldn't believe it maybe the guy was just doing a bit he heard our texas accents and thought i'm gonna drop a forget about it here but it was very helpful, very nice. And yeah, New York is awesome. I love it. Another thing that you have with your breakfast in Beauclair Hansa is y'all are big on D&D. And this is we something are. that we've, we've kind of gotten the works here. Um, we haven't really announced it, but now that we have this other interview, we're kind of ready to do it. But you are actually going to join us. Or we're going to join each other along with previous guest, Tracy. And we're going to play some D&D. And it will be run by the Dungeon Master Extraordinaire of Breakfast in Beauclair. I've been so, so blessed to have such a large community built around Breakfast in Beauclair over the last few years. The Hansa, if, and you might know the reference uh, if you've finished the books, and particularly Lady of the Lake, uh, where the title Breakfast in Beauclair comes from and why the community around it is called the Hansa. That being said, um, we do have a Discord. We have the Hansa Discord. And um, one of our members is essentially a full-time dungeon master now and he's the one who'll be running our game as well next month but he runs four games for our community with 20 players eight from the americas from canada all the way down to argentina and uh 12 players all over europe um from the netherlands to the uk northern ireland austria france i think i'm probably missing, missing some as well <laughs> But it's such an amazing community, and 
you know, even though our community was obviously founded on The Witcher, I really do think that it's D&D that really brought everyone together, seeing everyone uh, four times a week, basically, as these games are run over the last year, year and a half, has been so rewarding. And the friendships that people have made in the last, you know, few years has been so nice. Um, and we have so much fucking fun. Uh, we just finished, let's see, we had we had year-long campaigns, and then we just transitioned to new campaigns in the last two months. So I'm now playing a new character, a dragonborn paladin named Adamaris. And yeah, if you want to spectate any of those games, you're more than welcome to uh, four times a week on the Hansa Discord. It's absolutely baffling to me. Like I, I have never, I've watched, I watched Tracy stream a few games, but other than that, I, I just have no idea like what it's even about. So I'm really <laughs> looking forward to our game next month all i've got so far is that my character is a barbarian and she smashes stuff and that's all i have so far so i've got some thinking to do skelligan it was skelligan yeah Yeah. skelligan it was really interesting because a lot of the people who are really into DD now are people who had never played before i had never played before um it just happened to be a large community of people who all said i've always wanted to play DD, but i've never known how to get into it or i never had anyone to play with Mm -hmm. um so it was great that we had kind of gary (laughs) shepherding us through this experience and he's a lovely lovely dm it was the first place that i actually played DD as well but yeah, all of Alyssa's links contacts will be below discord all of that and we will mention them again All right. Well, Alyssa, again, thank you for joining us. And before we get into the show, we have some show notes here. If you, for some reason, have not heard or seen our interview with Misha Simpson, Francesca from the show, go ahead and check that out. That should be, I think, two episodes down the line there. And also, if you're not privy to our Twitter account, we have announced that we will also be interviewing Paul Bullion, who plays Lambert. That is coming up at the beginning of next (laughs) month. Look for that as well. We will also have some information there about his charity. Make sure to donate that as Lucy and I stream. We will have that up. And uh, let's try to raise a ton of money again. Another thing I forgot to put down here is we just started our Instagram account. And yeah, we will have that down as well. So if Twitter's not your thing, you're very smart. I don't blame you. (laughs) So we will definitely be a little more active on instagram maybe not the shit posts that i make on twitter yeah th- they can they can keep the twitter we yeah. have to try and keep some kind of aesthetic on instagram i think <laughs> yeah my uh when, when lucy's asleep and i've had a few drinks at night and i think something's funny those will stay on twitter i love them yeah sometimes i just wake up and it's I have eight notifications on Twitter. Why? <laughs> I'm just like, oh my, oh my it's, lord. It's like, uh-oh, Brett's <laughs> tweeting again. <laughs> but yeah, I basically. I was so excited when I got like a notification from you guys that you were now on Instagram because I love Instagram as, yeah. as a podcaster. Yeah. So yeah. yeah it, it's I'm been, excited to get into it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time coming. It's something I've kind of dragged my feet about and be like, oh, wait, wait, we should do that. But no, a lot of things happening again. So next month will be that interview with Paul Bullion there. And then the, I believe it should be the week after that is when we actually have the D&D game. But all that stuff Mm -hmm. will come out. And uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoy it. If you are listening on Apple or Spotify, please rate and review. It means a lot with the searches and, and all that fun stuff. Tell people about it as well. Make a post subreddit. Tell other creators, streamers, anybody about that. The biggest way to help us right now is to just tell people about it. Uh, no spoilers for future episodes probably 
Probably not. I don't know. I think I, I think I edit some of them out, but some of them actually kind of leave. And while this will not be a scene by scene, there'll be a lot of major points of discussions. We'll kind of go. We've kind of merged to that where we go in order of it. But it's not every little thing to do that. If that's your thing, check out uh, Winds Howling, the other one I do, as well as the Breakfast in Beauclair. When do you, Alyssa, when do you have that planned for you to start talking about this season? Oh, I've already started. Oh, you, so you can already, well, missed? Nightmare of the Wolf. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Okay, yeah. good. You gave so, me, I was literally about to be like, oh my God, did I just miss that? But <laughs> you, you haven't talked about the episodes of the season, right? No, so episode okay. one okay. Uh, will come out in two weeks, I okay. think. Uh, okay, my, my heart just totally skipped. I was like, oh, God. I Let's just, see. Okay. It's like it's Nightmare. So, okay. Yeah, so I just did two episodes on Nightmare of the Wolf with uh, two LARPers, which is really exciting, one of whom was from The Witcher School. Uh, but mm. I'll be starting the actual episodes of the Netflix series on March 3rd, Thursday, March 3rd. That was another thing that I've never heard of. I listened to episode one of your um, podcast on Nightmare of the Wolf uh, two days ago, I think. There were these guys talking about LARPing. And I was like, I've never even heard that word before. Really? <laughs> yeah, I've not. What is LARPing? And then these guys were just talking. It's essentially everyone just gets fully Dungeons and Dragons, but in real life. Everyone's yes. fully in their character, in their outfit. Is it, Do they go on quests and stuff? What What is it? I mean, you're essentially living as another person and it from again, I've never LARPed before, so yeah. you might have to reference other things for that. But, you know, it depends on I think the game and the scenario. So yeah. with Witcher School, you are a witcher and you're an adept and you're, you know, on the path to becoming one. So they like put you through the trial of the grasses, they do all this other stuff and you're living as a witcher trainee. Mm -hmm. Whereas it sounds like other ones, um, you know, some of them might be medieval, some of them might be yeah. uh, steampunk, and you just like live in a way for a weekend, um, which sounds Class, super interesting. It? Yeah. it does, doesn't it? It sounds unreal. Like, I think if I was to do something like that, I would be so uncomfortable at first, and then you just like get into it, and it must be so much fun. The movie Role Models, that was, I think it was Paul Rudd, Sean mm -hmm. William Scott, it covers that. They're like That's big it. brothers to little brothers, and yeah, LARPers, live action role playing. And it's a big part of that where they, yeah, they show them really get into it. The only reason I really knew about that was there's this park in, in the city that I live in. And for like 20 some odd years since I was a kid, there are maybe a hundred people out there. And I went out there one time for some reason, I don't remember. And I saw again, 50, 60, 70, 80 people, whatever it was, all just dressed in medieval attire and with wooden, not wooden swords, but I guess rubber swords, whatever it was. I was like, oh my God. This is the nerdiest shit I've ever seen. It is, yeah. But now I'm just like, can I join? <laughs> well, yeah, that was go, the go out there and be like, me. this is cool now. <laughs> I know. I had the same thing because I went to a really large state school uh, close to the New York area. And so that school had everything you could possibly imagine. But one of those things was a LARP in medieval uh, club. So you would kind of go onto the campus green on certain days and the guys would be busting each other with swords and the girls would be <laughs> sewing costumes on the side and it was it was an interesting thing to walk by but now it's like oh my god let me interview these people let me go to literature yeah. school <laughs> yeah like, do make content there and, and it'll <laughs> be fun so and that was something we actually saw at that netflix event was them actually nice. hitting each other with yeah. like an actual faux duel and yeah the sword broke yeah that was a crazy experience i think um if you go onto actually my Instagram or Twitter, I think one of the best things I got out of that experience uh, with Netflix was one of my friends for my 30th birthday took screen grabs of my face and put them on faces oh, yeah. of the Witcher characters and then put it on a mug and shipped it to me. And I saw that. 
Yeah. They they told me it was from all screenshots from that Netflix video and I was like, Well, that's 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 a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's well, yeah, yeah. When I first saw that I was like, Oh my god, that's cool. And then a couple of those a couple of those images, I was man, what was what was going through her mind there? But it might have been when you were watching, I guess, the combat. Oh, they're terrible photos of me and how they're slapped on a mug. <laughs> okay, there you go. You, you said it. All right. <laughs> yeah, some of it was, I was just like, oh, that's kind of creepy there. At first, I was like, is that Alyssa? I was like, it has to be. That's why she has it. So I was well, like, it's oh. me with Henry Cavill's body, so I would hope so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Them, uh, maybe, you know what? I'm not even going to go. I was going to say something. I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> all uh, right. Cut it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, so. With all, that, with all that out of the way, yes, let's get into the episode. All right. And the first thing I had on here, I meant to explicitly tell y'all to really watch this scene and give me your thoughts. So I hope you did it because this was a big, it wasn't a sticking point, but I've heard it from several people. And in this scene, Geralt and Siri are talking about killing people and something like that. And Siri says, I killed them. And he says, four. Like, that's it. You've, you've got some catching up to do. And he walks away. And it seems that he's, it's almost like a joke. That he's joking like, oh, you've only killed four. That's it, four? And she looks kind of confused afterwards. What did y'all think of this? Am I just seeing that wrong? Because it seems like he's trying to tell her this is very serious. It's not about revenge, which, again, is a very good callback to the books. We kill only when we need to. And she's kind of, in a way, pouring her heart out here. Seems guilt-ridden almost. And he's just like, oh, four, and walks away. Did y'all have any? Alyssa, did, you, did that stick out in your mind any? Yes and no. It is, it is, I think it leaves Siri feeling a bit off kilter, obviously. Um, it feels like one, Geralt is trying to be relatable. Two, he's probably trying to push aside her guilt because, like, she's, she's killed people. They were probably the first people that she's ever killed. Um, and the amount of guilt that she faces, he probably just sees that and wants to alleviate her of that, of that guilt and of, of that feeling. Um, at the same time, you know, we were just talking about The Witcher 3. And it's almost like that scene where Siri wants to wreck all the stuff in Avalok's lab and the quote unquote right thing to do in order to get her to be a witcher is to let her do it instead of like telling her to rein it in. So I wonder if it's that thing of like just letting her letting her be free essentially of all the guilt that she has um, and he's doing his best to be relatable and do that. Okay, so basically let her kind of because it seemed up to this point he always had sage advice he always tried to help her mm -hmm. through things and this is basically is oh no you're kind of on your own well what's done is done right he i think she might have mentioned in the scene that they were attacking her right so yeah. it's like what's he gonna do tell her not to defend herself probably well, not no but i would think but... maybe say like hey you know if, if they deserved it or some anything is what i guess is what i'm trying to say i don't know i think it it might have just been him Okay. Again, trying to make a joke and be a cool dad. And see, that's, exactly. that's the thing that bothers me the most, though, is were they really trying to put a joke in there? There's no way. I have to be, I have to be seeing that wrong. I hope I'm seeing that wrong. Yeah, I mean, I I did kind of initially when I watched this, kind of scrunch my face up when he said that. Okay. I was kind of taken aback by it, but I totally agree with what you said, Alyssa. I think it's quite clear that series really carrying a lot of guilt with this and Geralt can probably see that she's feeling bad about it and so I took away that he was just trying to make her feel a bit better make it not feel like like as it was out of her control she has no idea what her powers are at this point she didn't intend to kill those guys she was just scared and angry like she said so Geralt's probably in this moment just trying to make her feel a bit 
better by insinuating that he's killed a lot more people than four. And Siri thinks that Geralt's great. I think he's doing his best. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah. that's all Geralt does throughout the entire series, is just kind of do things in a really awkward way. But being, I don't know, being the script that it is, like, it is a bit, it is a bit odd, but I don't know, it happens quickly enough that you kind of move past it, and there's so much in the episode. I was about to say, evidently, well, I so. didn't move past it. <laughs> it stuck with me. No. no, no, I get what you mean. And we will definitely, because it's something you've had down, this parenthood kind of theme, we will cover that really more at the end, because it really hits on all of these. So yeah, Geralt and Ciri's relationship is kind of a crux of everything. So we will definitely hit on that. So they're fighting this Chernabog here. And Lucy, sad face, what do you have down? Uh, Roach, sad face. I know. Yeah. This is one of the moments in the series where I didn't see it coming. I didn't Couldn't think it was going to happen. No. And I was, I nearly, nearly shed a little tear. Yeah, me, like me, me. me too. <laughs> yeah, me too. I almost did as well. I feel like I'm one of the few people in the fandom that were like, ah, oh, I'm surprised this didn't happen sooner. And like, mm. didn't really mind it. But that was one of the things, and it's on here that it's, I guess, one of the numerous things that the showrunner or Lauren Hestrick has had to almost <laughs> explain or defend. The original script that's on there Geralt kind of makes this very, I was about to say Witcher 3 joke, but it's just very witchery mm -hmm. joke because it's a running kind of joke throughout the books and all along that he calls all of his horses Roach. They're obviously not all the same horse that he's had forever and ever and ever. And he makes kind of a joke at the end that says, you were my favorite. And uh, she explains in there that Henry Cavill did not appreciate, she said appreciate it, wanted to change it, wanted it to be more heartfelt. She agreed and even uh, agrees with him that it came off as better off. I actually like the original. I don't even see it as a ha-ha joke like mm -hmm. the one before it. I think it's one of those that's a wink to people. If you know, you know. And if you don't yeah. know, then you're not going to get hung up on it. And so, yeah, I, I like the original better. Maybe I'm just a sucker for animals. If I see a horse that basically just got eviscerated, although it didn't really show all of that, I'm going to be emotional enough, you know, like, I don't, mm -hmm. and I get he wanted, maybe he wanted Geralt to have more emotion. I'm all for that. That's been one of my biggest complaints there. I think I agree with Lauren in that I would trust Henry Cavill to pick the right thing and to apply it in a way that, that he feels would be approachable um, and attainable for new fans, as well as for people who are existing fans of the series. And the excerpt that he chose to replace the original line with was something from uh, Something More at the end of Sword of Destiny. So he has this experience um, at the end of Sword of Destiny that, I guess, inspired this new line. Um, so I do find it very beautiful um, in terms of whether or not I think it fits the scene or fits the character that we see in The Witcher. I think it's very important that we see this, like, this depth to to Geralt, especially I think coming off of season one, where there were a lot of jokes about how one-dimensional Geralt felt. I think it's really nice for him to have this moment and this privacy because Siri gets up and leaves. Yeah. So it's really just um it's really just uh Geralt giving a short service essentially to his beloved pet. 
So I think it's quite nice. Um, and it shows that I think Geralt has still has ties and still has loyalty. And he's a character where all of those things are important to him, even to his horse. So I think it's I think it's nice. I did like, yeah, because I liked the scene and I liked the little quote um, that he did say with Roach there at the end. But when this whole drama came out that there was going to be a joke, I think in Lauren's tweet, she says, don't create drama where none exists. Yeah, it's not a joke. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Like everyone was going on as if it was going to be like one of those really on the nose, like over the top comedy lines. So when I actually saw what the line was going to be, I was like, oh, that actually would have been a nice nod to people who know. And like you said, Brett, if you don't know, then it yeah. wouldn't be something that would like completely confuse you. Um, it, I think in the moment I was kind of heartbroken. If he had it said, you are my favorite roach, I probably would have went, oh, like, I know what he means by that. I wouldn't have thought it was super funny or taking you out of the moment, but I do like what they did. You know what though? Now that you mention it, it kind of would take me out of the moment. Like, in, well, not, okay, not fully take me out of the moment, but it would cause me to think about something other than Roach mm-hmm. dying. I would think about it. So, you know what? That's actually, maybe it is. Maybe my mind, maybe I, in a roundabout way, came to it <laughs> from hearing <laughs> explanations. But Alyssa, I do think you're dead on about, that's probably something, it's your main actor, it's your main character. If they want to show emotion, you kind of just give that up. Because while I did like the line, that wasn't anything I would go to bat on and if it's something he needs to be more emotional about you definitely don't want him performing that scene not fully wanting to do it so i good decision for sure and he you know we obviously know that he feels very passionate about doing justice to the character of Geralt of Rivia on screen um so it's really nice that we you know get that and we have such a passionate actor at the at the helm i would i want to see more that that diatribe Geralt though that we get in the books i want to see him whine and whinge and <laughs> pout he's so annoying oh my god <laughs> at times i'm that's i'm telling you that's the number one thing when i tell people who have not read the books i talk about i call him a whiny bitch a whiny <laughs> petulant bitch and people are like oh i just i'm like dude he is excerpt let me pull an excerpt that it might not even be able to screenshot because he talks for so long <laughs> i love Geralt so much but at the same time it's like you bring this on yourself like 98 percent of the time are you okay honey like, yeah. what's what's going on no and and that's the biggest thing that people that i don't maybe if you've only played the games and you love that Geralt, maybe you won't like the book Geralt. But as good as everyone did, as good as Doug Cockle did, as good as Seda Proyak Red did, the Witcher book Geralt is so different and so unique that I just, I don't know. I, at this point, I doubt they'll really go fully into that, but I, I can still hope, right? I can still hope. I'm sure it wouldn't be without Henry Cavill trying. And that, like, that's, I, I really that's, do think he's really going to try. And see, that's the thing that I would love to ask them more than anything, because he reads the books, he points to stuff from the books, he has a lot of say in it, but we still don't really see it. So is who's who, why isn't it really happening, you know? Is that something they run up the chain so, to Netflix and they're like, no, we need gruff, hulking, bulky, gar-. you know what I mean? Can, can he, yeah. Are they afraid of him showing that sensitive side? Well, I mean, whiny I, side, I, I obviously can't. <laughs> I can't speak to that in terms of like a creative direction standpoint, but just the way that shows are run in general, everything has to align with the showrunner's vision. So we've heard this from multiple interviews with the writers, including Bo DeMaio. We've heard this from the actors, including Henry um, and others, that 
whatever they do or want to do or pitch, it always has to ladder up to the overall vision that's dictated by the showrunner, which in this case would be Lauren. So, you know, whatever Henry can control about Geralt of Rivia, it just has to fit into the storyline for all of the other characters in the direction of the season. Same thing with the plot lines as well. Whatever the writers create, they still have to pitch into the overall season. Um, so that probably has some effect on what boundaries they set for themselves in terms of story and depiction. Yeah, no, absolutely right about that. That's one thing I tell people when they see that somebody wrote an episode. I'm like, mm -hmm. no, they just as a staff writer, you have to get credit on one episode because that's what you get the residuals for. But the showrunner could have rewrote damn near all of it. And they're still going to put your name on it because you kind of have to, to do that. And you're right. We don't know how much gets done here. But even still, you know, she still has a boss also, and there's still Netflix people saying what they kind of can and can't do. And we'll never know because they obviously have to to keep that in-house. But yeah, I just, because I, I, don't, I don't believe, I don't know. It's just interesting to see, and we'll guess we'll never really know until you get them maybe having a few drinks at a party off mic, yeah. and then you'll get, then you'll get the, uh, the facts, right? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Or maybe if we start interviewing further up the chain. Maybe we'll so. But yeah. He's crossed for us. Yeah. But even then, like, that's what I mean. It'd have to be someone just out being honest, not with a mic, and ask them the question because then they'll be honest. Like, I'm not recording anything, right? No, of course not. That's where everybody <laughs> does it. Like, our on, you know, our full honesty. We're here, we're still, we got a microphone in front of us. But no, we're completely honest. Anyway, but yeah, so we're done. And I know, Lucy, I knew you would want to bring up the dead horse because you've killed so many from Red Dead 2. So. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't ever intentionally kill them, no, come on. And they were all named Roach, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, R.I.P., the many there you Roaches. Go. Next up, we go to what I always said was Melitaly, because I think mm. I heard the Gwent cards, or maybe that's just, maybe that's the way they say in the audiobooks, but Melitelli, a lot of them say the temple oh, here. No. <laughs> no, so the, much. <laughs> the Melitelli, I know, it just, Melitelli, it's Melitelli. It sounds like a Teletubby, I can't. <laughs> Melitelitubby, okay, well now that's going to be stuck in my head. Melitelitubby, Mel Melitelli, okay, you know, you just ruined that for me. What do you guys say? I say Yeah, Melitelli. The temple I think that in sounds much more like a religion than Melitelli. It does, it sounds nicer than Melitelli. To me, yeah. it's easier to say there's Caribbean and Caribbean. And Caribbean, like that's just herky jerky. It's just a janky way of saying it. Caribbean that rolls <laughs> off the tongue. Melitely. Do you say Caribbean? <laughs> yeah, we all say say Caribbean here. Well, uh, y'all. Well, okay. We'll get into Caribbean. the whole. Well, yeah, we'll get into the whole Great Britain and <laughs> all of that into another one. Anyway, we're at the Temple of Melitelitubby. A big thing you have down here, Alyssa, is something you must be super interested in: the architecture yes. of the temple. So take us away. I just, I love architecture, props, sets, costuming, and everything that has to do with production in television and film in general. I happened to come across someone who was working on some of the props for The Witcher. Unfortunately, their Instagram is gone, as of this, at least as of this morning, uh, so I couldn't even go back to reference some of the additional things. I'm just, you know, popping stuff off my head. The temple design I found so interesting just because it's so different from everything that we've seen up until this point. The palace that the, that the Temple of Melitali is actually based on in the show, I've been to before. Um, and it's beautiful. It's the Alhambra in uh, Granada, Spain, um, in Andalusia. 
and it's so beautiful. It's um, based on, well, it was created in like the Moorish and Islamic uh, architectural traditions. Um, so there's a lot of like patterns. It's very uh, beautiful, high ceilings, lots of decorative uh, elements all throughout the walls and uh, as part of the architecture, the windows. And, you know, seeing all of that, Having seen it in person, I should say, and seeing how well it translates on screen in these, you know, built sets was absolutely fantastic, and I loved it. The interesting thing is that I got to see Andrew Laws, the production designer, speak a couple of years ago in Luca, Italy. Um, and even for season one, they were talking about how they love to look at different um, regions and different traditions, architectural traditions, for how to shape the show. So in season one, they were looking all the way to even like Japan and Germany and Poland and everywhere else in between. And for parts of season two, as they go to further expand the continent and make it feel much larger, that also brought them to to architectural and artistic traditions further south. So they looked to India, they looked to Spain, and brought in a lot of these influences that we hadn't yet seen before in order to help expand the continent and make it feel much bigger. And there were other things that I learned as well, um, just to, like how many orbs they went through making for the orbiculum or whatever it's called, mm -hmm. um, and how many trials they did for making the glass look just right, all of the things that they went through for building like these gorgeous statues. And yeah, it was it was really cool, and I really wish I could I could reference the Instagram because it was just so educational for me, and I love that stuff. So yeah, I feel very excited now. <laughs> it looked amazing. And then I got to rant about that for a while, but yeah. Oh no, I think I thought fun. it looked great, and it was cool. Like what you said, it's it's very different to anywhere than we've seen in The Witcher before. And I even found it interesting seeing like all these warm tones on Geralt mm -hmm. and Ciri. Like he like usually they were in these really cold environments, even series in her little woolly jumper still, and just seeing like the warm colours on their face. It looked so different, but it was it, it was amazing set. I would love to see that set in real life. I wondered yeah. is is Melatelli in the books? I imagine it must be. It is. So there's a few times that we see and hear about it. Um most notably in uh The Last Wish, across the Last Wish. Um, we also go there a couple of times throughout the series, um, at the end of Blood of Elves, notably, and I believe Triss ends up there at a couple of scenes uh, through the later half of mm -hmm. the series. So how did it compare for you guys to what you had imagined it to be? I think I imagined it, you know, less Spanish, <laughs> less Moorish, <laughs> less Islamic. There are really specific things. I'm a very visual reader. Um, and a lot of the scenes that we see there often take place outside. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a lot of like rolling hills in my imagination, like an infamous shed from Blood of Elves Chapter 7 that gets destroyed unceremoniously. Um, but a lot of it for me was almost like, I don't think barracks are quite the right, the right word, but I think it was a lot less grand mm -hmm. than what I was imagining. And or I imagined something much less grand, I think, than we got in the Netflix show. Whenever, just coming from the medieval historical outlook, whenever there's a temple of something like this, unless anything is explicitly put in or that stands out, I kind of just take a bare bones medieval like template would be not a cathedral or anything like that, but yeah. pretty much just a nice chapel and to kind of have it. And so this was like so much different than what I expected. Mm. But now that y'all both pointed out, I did appreciate now more the warmthness of mm -hmm. it, especially again, juxtaposed to the cold rigidness of Kaer Morin, where yeah, yeah. it seems like it's perpetually freezing in there, <laughs> which it's up in the mountains, I get it, but that just feels so uninviting, and this feels 
and not only do I want to visit the set, I want to go there in like fantasy life. It's so beautiful. Like the 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 actual Alhambra in Spain is incredible, and we got to be there. Like we got a full tour. I think my tour guide was actually Polish, which was hilarious. <laughs> um, but the grounds are beautiful. They have these like stunning gardens. This like courtyard that has this beautiful lion fountain. Um, and then we got to go outside and then watch the sun come down on oh. on this beautiful palace. Um, and it was incredible. But Brett, I know that you mentioned like you usually think about uh, medieval traditions and and architecture um, and these smaller, uh, not cathedrals, but chapels. And um, the Alhambra, the palace was actually, I think, built in or started to be built in about 1250 something, according to Wikipedia. Um, so that would put it in line with a lot of the more uh, stoic, I think, and uh, brutalist-ish uh, and plain medieval architecture that was happening in other parts of Europe. Yeah, Moor, Moor, bleh, take two. Moorish Spain <laughs> is something that isn't too widely known. Uh, just, yeah. just from my own history, my last name, Cervantes, is like 12th century Castilian. Obviously, a lot of that, the Reconquista going up to there. But yeah, it was fascinating that there was pretty much that influence, I think it was 1492 with the conquest of Granada when the Reconquista was completed and then all pretty much Moorish influences, Islamic influences were gone. And yeah, that's something that happened with the discovery of America. So Spanish history, interesting because it's a, it's a wild country. You being there, you definitely know. Yeah, they're all Spanish, but nah, they're very, Italy's the same way where you just have basically different countries in certain parts of it. So that would be that Moorish influence though yeah. probably still is there for sure. Person we meet here, Neneka or Neneke. Every single <laughs> name has two pronunciations, and I'm only going to pronounce it the way I first learned it, not the way they do it in the show. I'm too old to change my ways. I got a real mouse sack vibe from her. She details things that are beyond what Geralt can comprehend, and it made me really miss mouse sack. Oh, I know. Yeah. As soon as you, I, I didn't think that, and then when I read it in your notes, I thought, yeah, she's given exactly the same vibes, just sort of trying to put into words things that Geralt can't quite get his head around. And yeah, she was great. I didn't know what to expect of her character, and then she comes out with this line, I don't see any side upon which you are not entirely fucked. <laughs> just yeah. like, I love her. <laughs> I I really enjoyed, now I'm going back and forth on what I'm going to say. I think I usually say Nanika, but I I do think I changed it after an episode of the podcast. Um, but yeah, I really like Nanika. And um, as a character, she's fantastic. And I think it opens up the opportunity for her to be almost like a grandmother figure to mm. Siri and one that she steps into. And it's a role that she steps into over the course of the episode, which is lovely. I really enjoy it. I think like when I've imagined this character from the books, though, this is such like a really obscure reference. There's, I think, in, what's it called? In Robin Hood, the Disney animated film, <laughs> there's a character who is a rooster that has just like this hat and like this wide dress and she's... Um, just very like pleasant and and fun and and I think that's the kind of character that I imagine from the books. So this was just very different. I think the the way that Nenica appears in the show was much more um a little more stately, I think, than I would have imagined from Nenica from the books. Because Nenica from the books is like how would you describe her, Brett? <laughs> well, I was gonna ask you if I remembered this correctly. What I get from Nenica from the books is she is not there for Geralt's bullshit. And no, the whole, the whole thing is uh, the, the narrative device or however you want to call it over the first book, The Last Wish. I think it's The Voice of Reason. I the think Voice of Reason. The Voice yeah. of Reason. 
And it takes place between each of these short stories or maybe right afterwards. And it's Geralt recovering from this injury. You know, from you can take the Striga. A, yeah, from the Striga. It's Yola and it's Nenica and he has these things and he talks and she just does not take his bullshit. And I no. think they just, they took that and they, you know, fired it up to 11 here <laughs> with her. And she got, yeah. a, she yeah. got a little, it's not an attitude per se in that, but she's very much not. She doesn't mince words at all. No, like, not at all. Yeah, she'll tell him straight. Whereas I think there were a little bit more like theatrics and dismissal in the books. But I think it's a little bit straighter here. Yeah, and she's pretty much, I'm, I'm assuming, well, because it doesn't really happen. We'll get there when we get to that later in the episode. Because basically what I get out of this is she's telling Geralt, you you got to get help and you know who to get help from. But it doesn't really come to fruition in this. It's more of a chance encounter. But yeah, I like I'm also biased again by the Gwent cards and the Gwent cards has her as this very old woman. And I kind of got that same this grandmotherly figure that just is not going to take your bullshit. I feel like Nenica in the show reminds me of my mom, just like very small, very thin. And I just like, I'm 5'2", and I can tuck my mom into my own shoulder. Um, and that's kind of the vibe that I get from Netflix Nenica is I just, she'll read me out without remorse. So yeah, but can't be bothered. So I feel like I empathize with Geralt in this situation. Another person we meet here is Yare, as she says it. She just rolls the R's on there. Lucy, you mentioned something here about a tower. Yeah, I'm possibly reaching and clutching at straws here, but this was me trying to find more Witcher 3 Easter eggs. And obviously Yara's or Yara, I think I can do that. Yara. Um, his most memorable line in this episode is probably where he's talking about his large tool. Um but something that caught my attention is when he's telling Siri about a story in his book and he starts saying something about a long lost tower that used to be connected to the Isle of, and then he gets interrupted. And I first thought of the Tower of Mice um, in The Witcher 3, uh, which is connected to Fike Isle. And then there's also another quest in Skellige where a tower appears out of nowhere on, on Skellig and there's people that are going missing and there's loads of um, mysteries going around this tower. I, I, I don't know. I was just listening and that just really stuck in my mind. I Googled it. I can't find anything about it. So it's probably nothing, but this is just things that were going through my head in those moments. Okay, Alyssa, do you have any thoughts on Long Lost Tower that might connect to the Isle of... You know, I have a, at least at least one thought, maybe two. Okay. Um, all of them have to do with Lady of the Lake. So mm. I might reserve anything. Okay. Or, well, the last two books, Tower of Swallow and Lady of the Lake. Okay. Because, I mean, it could also pretend to maybe next season. Well, so the thing about Yara and even Siri in a lot of this episode is Yara's an exposition dump and he's a foreshadowing dump for the entire course of the episode. That's all he says. Um, so I think in this monologue as well, he says a couple of other things that yeah. if you have listened to, uh, or rather, if you've, um, I listened to the books, if you've read the books, um, you'll pick up on a couple of things here and there. And it's just an entire stream of theories, I think, that he has about the continent that, uh, that previous fans of the books may recognize. I mean, we can't really spoil anything from the show because we don't know like where it's going to go. But, That's true. Yeah. That's true. In the last book, Yara is in probably what might be my favorite chapter of the entire Mine book series. Well. Mm-hmm. Is it really? 
It's one. Well, yeah, it's one of okay. them. I think there's. But see, I think it uh, might be yeah. my favorite. Not just one. It's definitely one of them. But it might be my favorite. I love when we're. I, at, went? <laughs> I love when we talk like this, and Lucy just like, oh, as if I'm we've just shouldered, as if we just shouldered her <laughs> off. And actually, we probably just shouldered <laughs> off the listeners. So we anyway. we shouldered her off like a PFI. Um, yeah. Oh, but there you go. Brett and I a are wink, wink. Oh. There's a, yeah, there's a <laughs> wink there. You know it. We could honestly talk about that, and it's going to happen in like eight years, probably. Because <laughs> if it, it might happen, yeah. so it probably won't. Yeah. Come. Uh, but yeah, we'll get you back on in again seven years when I'm about forty five, when the show is. I'm, <laughs> dude, I'm I'm there with you. I'm like, holy shit! I think I just locked myself into something for the next fifteen years. What the fuck? Yeah, well, we're it's doing either... the games as well. We keep talking yeah. about when we're gonna get on Hearts of Stone in yeah. four years' time. <laughs> I'm. People have asked me if I'm gonna get to the games, and I was like, dude, I, I just looked at my imaginary watch. You have to know that at home. Um, I just looked at my imaginary watch and was just like, well. No, I have like all the books, I have <laughs> all the Netflix show, and they're putting out all these spinoffs. There's an animated series, mm-hmm. the kids stuff. Like, when it's gonna be gonna Blood Origins. Oh, it's gonna Blood be Origin. the children's series, the other animated thing that Bodemeyer was working on. Like, is he working on the second I, one as well? I thought they said that he was. I thought he said that somewhere. Ooh, I'm that not he, sure. I thought that's he's, okay. Is he moving on from from this and moving into completely into X Men and something and about X Men? Yeah, did you oh, say that on your last? He's maybe the showrunner. That's, okay. he's the showrunner. That's why I've heard like, that. Oh, new X Men animated well, then show. Then fuck yeah. me. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, that must be. It. I just is... saw where a lot of the original, the writers from season one, had generally most of them. I think had either moved on or there was Declan Nabara, and then Bodemeyer obviously yeah. did uh, season two and Nightmare of the Wolf. So. Yeah, so Declan Debara did Blood Origin, yeah. Bo DeMaio ha- did Nightmare of the Wolf and has moved on to things like Moon Knight and um and X-Men of course. He may I mean he might do a movie. Um I, maybe but, I and just And then Jenny Klein also moved yeah. on as well and is yeah. a lot of them are their own showrunners, which is incredible. That yeah, no kidding, good for them. Like that's where that's where you work towards. Yeah, you have. I think it took like Lauren is like twenty years in the business. I think she started or her first big one was West Wing. Mm. I think that might have been her first big show. Well, you know, I think if you know, I, I know a lot of people have opinions about the way that the show's been run, but I think one of the things that I really do admire about what we've seen from the from the writers' room and from production really is the how much people praise lauren for the way that she runs things and for their where their careers have gone like i feel like it's really great to see that people are moving on to larger opportunities that's a big thing in coaching especially in basketball is it's not just you being a good head coach it's a testament to your assistants getting head coaching jobs and that makes Mm -hmm. you look better so no you're right and i've said it before and i'll say it probably 17 more times last season was her first season running a show and so this would be her second season. And I think it has just been light years better across oh, the gosh, board. Yeah. And so she has improved like crazy. And so that, that, that gives me the most hope for season three, honestly, is just the yeah. how much better the show has gotten. We'll, yeah, we'll, you'll get there on your podcast in a couple of years, <laughs> whenever that Eventually. comes out. <laughs> Eventually. Eventually. <laughs> All right. Another, I guess not a, fr- well, fresh face here, <gasps> Yennefer and Geralt's reunites and before i read off one of my favorite things ever in the books that come to uh, a dear friend me and lucy have talked ad nauseum about it and Alyssa, i've just got to ask you yennefer's arc especially you want to talk about either like controversial or whatever the loss of magic and all that what are your thoughts on yen's arc this season so the loss of magic thing i was certainly surprised by but wasn't necessarily 
upset about. Like, I thought it was an interesting thing for her to go through, especially after the Battle of Sodden, on top of which they've added, like, the abuse of fire magic, basically, um, being barred by the Brotherhood. So it does make sense, given where things have gone. And I think that I do have my own opinions on Volith Mare as a concept and as a character. But, you know, I thought it was really innovative how, for example, we know in the beginning of Blood of Elves that Yennefer scars Rince. And we got to see that done in a clever way because her magic was gone. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I thought that was incredibly clever. And they still got to have that moment together. And it fit into the vision for the story. But yeah, I, I definitely have my own thoughts on how this played out. Um, and I think, like, if you took out Volithmere from the equation, it would have made for a much more compelling story, If she, even if she kept the exact same arc. But then, you know, you wouldn't have the end game that happens I think uh, that's here. the I think so. that's the biggest thing is the Volithmere almost ties them into doing certain things, almost mm-hmm. maybe like hamstrung it, that if she, and again, this is a spoiler, but whatever, it's not that big. She doesn't, she doesn't regain her magic until the very end of the season. And it was something if it only was a couple of episodes, or maybe if she got it here, or maybe she got it right before Siri, then I can see, okay, she still got to do that arc, her own little redemption arc of, you know what, I don't need magic to define me. It just makes me better, improves, whatever, in that sense. But you're right here, because of Volith Mare, she kind of has to still not have it if to keep that going. I think it also like confuses the rules of magic within The Witcher a little bit. Like, what exactly is chaos at this point now what happens if you what does it mean to quote unquote sever your connection to it um and then what does it mean to regain it um we don't really know when those things aren't really defined in in dialogue (laughs) over the course of the show so but you know going back to your original question like what do i think about the arc like i think it works i just would have much preferred it had she had she traveled this path on her own and come to a lot of these conclusions on her own as opposed to having that external push of Volith Mare. It goes to another question I'm going to ask is she's here for Siri because yep. of Volith Mare and that oof okay we will get there we will get there all right mm-hmm. on a positive note and I know Alyssa you will recognize this so the episode is titled Dear Friend it comes from in the books when Geralt's invited Triss and the Witchers invited Triss to help Siri at Kaer Morhen Triss realized you need a more experienced magician, a more experienced sorceress. You know who. Geralt then has to contact uh, Yennefer, who he has not seen for, I believe they said it was like three years. They haven't talked or seen or something like that. So he decided to start this letter with Dear Friend. So at this point, Geralt gets this letter and he sees that it's basically titled Dear Friend and he knew he instantly regretted it. So I'm going to (laughs) paraphrase some of this. I'm going to read part of it. Some of it's cut out. This is just the most catty, bitchy thing and just the best. So this is Yen's letter to Geralt. I agree with your opinion. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I agree with your opinion that the help of yet another magician is absolutely necessary. I feel honored to be the second to whom you turn. What have I done to deserve to be so high on your list? Rest assured, dear friend, I leave without delay and go to the place which you indicated in an oblique yet to me understandable way. It goes without saying that I leave in absolute secrecy and with great caution. I shall try in doing so not to appear any worse than other ladies to whom you have turned or turning or usually turn with your supplications. I am, after all, your dear friend. Your valuable friendship is too important to me to disappoint you, dear friend. Should you in the next few years wish to write me, do not hesitate for a moment. Your letters invariably give me boundless pleasure. Your friend, Yennefer. 
And it says afterwards, the letter smelled of lilac and gooseberries. So there were three dear friends. It it was there was three dear friends before this. So that was seven friends or dear friends she drops in this. And this (laughs) this is one of those things where I know the way that they did it. They had to have Yen show up there. But oh my God, I would have killed for this to be in the show and shown on screen that people could have screen capped it. Mm -hmm. I just this this is Yen to me personified of her character right there in that I God, I wish we could have somehow had that on screen. I mean, it also says a lot about Geralt that, again, he was super dumb and he did this to himself at the same time. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> he, he fucks himself so many times. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's Geralt, though. He's not, yes, he's not this womanizing big badass. He's, oh my God. And I put a screenshot up on Twitter of mm-hmm. me right as he says the line, and it's just Yen kind of rolling her eyes. And Henry Cavill's face is so perfect. It is, yeah. It is so sheepishly like, oh, oh, did I? Oh, I messed up, didn't I? It's mm-hmm. so great. It's so good. I love that moment. I thought that whole that whole little scene was just great because I love the start of it as well where Yennefer comes into the room and you can tell on Geralt's face before he's even turned around that he can tell it's her. I don't know if he smells the lilac and gooseberries or something, but that his face changes before he even turns around. And then it all just goes to shit so fast as soon as he says those two words. It's great. So Yen is here because she's supposed to take Siri to this black door in Sintra. So Yen meets Siri for the first time here. Yep. And she's basically meeting <laughs> yep. under auspicious, auspicious circumstances. I I mean, I have mixed thoughts about this whole thing. And some of it was, you know, me being enlightened by other guests that I've had on Breakfast in Beauclair. Um, When we talk about uh, episode one, uh, A Grain of Truth with... um. This woman, Elsa from France, who was, happens to be like a story editor and uh, and she's great. But one of the things that she happened to bring up in her episode was that there's never a point in the books in which Geralt is upset at Yen. Not this early on. Not in Blood of Elves. Um, Yen's upset at Geralt for this dumb thing, but like Geralt's never angry at her. Um, and I think that that's a really important distinction to make in the show and that was a very pivotal change because now we're giving reason for Geralt to hate Yennefer which has never happened before um not to this extent so I feel like throwing Siri into the equation obviously gives Yennefer an opportunity to change her mind um to re rethink what what she's about to do uh with and for Volithmere at the same time it does feel a little rushed, just because this is episode six. We only have two more episodes to go. So I feel like if this were to happen and for it to be successful, we would have wanted to have explored their relationship in a little bit more depth before Yennefer would have to make that choice. It could have been done. I think it could have been a little bit stronger had it had more time to breathe. But I'm kind of iffy on whether that should have been done at all. That was, why do you think, why is there only eight episodes a season? Um, Why? probably budget constraints, I would assume. But they had, it was like a hundred, um, wasn't the budget, didn't I see where it was over like a hundred million dollars or something? Yeah, but how much do you think some of those actors being paid on top of, what? you know, like I know all one the actor. sets, all the, <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. on top of all the sets, um, as well as like the production, like the production value of the show increased tremendously, oh, um, yeah. which is of course to be expected considering one, it's fantasy, two, both seasons charted in the top 10 shows on Netflix ever. 
So they're happy to pour money into it. Um, that and then, Brett, you know how much they poured money into us for just yeah. that little three-day trip. I'm not surprised. <laughs> that being said, I, I, I don't know why it's only eight episodes. I think it would really... It would benefit the show, one, to have more episodes or to or to really focus, I think, the scripts and to cut more out than I think book audiences would like. But at least you can then really focus on a lot of the characters and plot points and development that I think we're missing at certain points in the show to make everything feel cohesive and for the gravity and the stakes to be really defined in a way that they haven't been all season. So they've cut a lot because 100% the number one, my number one issue with the show. And to me, the only thing that sticks with me and the reason why I don't think it's hitting as much is the relationships between Geralt yeah. and Siri. That has been, that's been okay. But obviously Yen and Siri, I mean, the, it's, it's just has not worked at all. And even going to the eighth last episode by blood of elves. And I've heard what she said about adapting blood of elves. But a huge thing of Blood of Elves is basically establishing Geralt and Ciri. Okay, that's for sure in there. And then it's Yen and Ciri. It ends with her training her. And Yen, like here, she is it fair to say that maybe she doesn't even really want to do to uh, to do Jesus does not want to train Ciri that much. I think that's what you guys will probably explore in the next episode, episode seven. Yeah. <laughs> but I think like. At this point, no, she doesn't because but right I, I, now I mean, Siri I, I, is an object I mean like, to attain and use. Okay, but I mean like from the from Blood of Elves though. Oh, from Blood of Elves, yeah. Okay, but it's, yeah. That relationship had to be built independently with it, it built independently of Geralt. Exactly, like, and that's why it was so, so good though. And I think they'll probably have to take the opportunity to do that yeah. in season three, or at least I would assume so. If anything else is going to happen, um, along with the books, but you know, obviously, who knows. So we'll certainly see, but I think a lot of this was almost just get everybody in the same place, and then we might actually get the back half of Blood of Elves in Season 3, along with uh, about half of Time of Contempt, would be my would be my prediction. Yeah, they the first part of Season 3, I think, has to be Yen and Siri, and it has to hit on that. Because right now, it's just not, and it's supposed to be this family, but mm -hmm. this... They're together here for, you know, one scene. They're just meeting. And yeah, it was, I, I went back and I reread those training scenes of Siri and Yen from Blood of Elves. And God, they're so fucking good. I know everything, so everything I mentioned is obviously going to be good. But Siri has, to me, it seems like she has more trances and they're really fucking weird. And she has to deal with them and Yen kind of has to explain it. And Yen kind of has that, you know, don't apologize, you know, got to be not tough it out kind of thing. But she's very hard, ugly duckling. You know, Taseya calls Yen little piglet in the show. Yen calls uh, Siri like ugly duckling and is really, really harsh to her. It's but it's it's that building thing. It's tough love. A lot of the stuff that gets cut from the show means other stuff goes in. As much as I've loved like Frangilla and Francesca, they're obviously 95 mm percent -hmm. bigger than they are. Frangilla is not even in the books at this. She didn't even get mentioned, right? Fr not Francesca doesn't still. either. I don't think she gets mentioned. No, in Blood they, of I mean, they, they might get mentioned. OK. Um, there, Francesca's at least mentioned in Time of Contempt, and Frangilla, I think we hear about in Baptism of Fire at the earliest. Okay. Yeah, there you go. They're much, much bigger then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, oh, Frangilla. Frangilla is night and day, and mm -hmm. Francesca, obviously there's no baby, like elven baby, 
yeah. in the books. So no, they're completely different. I like it because it's new and it's fun to talk about and we mm-hmm. have no idea where they're going. I think like, going off what you have said about their relationship, it's going to have to be so different from the books now, especially because they've kind of started off with a damaged relationship rather than them just meeting and being two new people. It, yes. They've now yeah, got, to, I they've mean, now got yeah. to recover from this betrayal. Exactly. As well as building up this relationship. So I guess is she, can can Yennefer then go in and be tough love on somebody that she's already betrayed? Is that going to work? Or is she going to yeah. have to yeah. kind of pander to Siri to try and get her to trust her again? It'll be, totally, a good, it'll be a, good a point. completely different dynamic. And that is that is what I was actually going to bring up. Um, just because their relationship, especially toward the end, like the very last few scenes of Blood of Elves Chapter 7, their relationship has like this comfort and this intimacy that you would find between like a mother and daughter and they're so comfortable with each other but i just it's so hard to imagine how they're going to get from point a to point b just like you said lucy it's something for sure that if anybody out there is literally show only and doesn't have that from the books i know lucy you're kind of in that but you also played the witcher 3 (laughs) yeah you played the witcher 3 though so you've got at least told to and you've got to see it and you played it where it care more in she literally, you know, she calls, yeah. she calls Yen mother, but I don't believe she ever calls Geralt like dad or father. Like she might say at times like he's like it, but she will literally yeah, say that. Yeah. At least maybe, maybe I'm blending the games with the books there, but I'm pretty sure in the game she never does it. And explicitly when they re, uh, when they reunite at Kaer Morin, it's big sister or sister Triss, it's yeah. mother Yennefer, and then it's Geralt. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it's not in that sense. So it was, it's definitely a different relationship. And yeah, it's going to be the biggest thing I look for in the next one, the first two episodes, first one or two episodes is they, they have to hit that, even do a little time jump, maybe, maybe a couple of months or something, show them training and show it because they, they do. I do think they really have to hit on that. And Lucy, you've had something here, Yen's unicorn. I could, I missed (laughs) on this. Is this something, where was this at? Did you miss it? I think I did. It was in the conversation. Yeah, so the three of them are talking and Yennefer, I don't know why. I think, yeah. So Siri says to her you're not telling me that unicorns are real or something like that. And Yen goes, yes, I used to own a stuffed one and it was broken under mysterious circumstances. And it's a little nod to, I think, The Witcher 3, but is it a book thing as well? Or is that just a game? Yeah, (laughs) It is a book thing. A shard of ice. Um, There was a shard of ice. Uh, There's basically a quote there from Geralt's point of view, which is quite funny. Um, But he mentions, like, uh, Yennefer liked to make love here, there, and everywhere, but particularly on the back of a stuffed unicorn um, until one one happy day it broke from beneath him, uh, I believe is a paraphrased quote. The funny thing is that in the French, in the original French translation, that was mistranslated as a rhinoceros. (laughs) Um, So that's always super fun to share. (laughs) They got a horn, so. Yeah, that is kind of just like a fat unicorn. Someone okay. tried. <laughs> All right. So this is the part of the episode where I tell Lucy to read a short of ice. Yep. So yeah, Gonna there you go. Happen. Also here, this is where Geralt's Rince and the Michelet Bros. They're from the books as well. They come up. And what did this remind you of, Lucy? This whole fight scene, I when I first watched it, I think what what episode is six? So I think I watched five, six, seven, and eight all in succession and this whole fight scene i was had my jaw wide open watching the tv i was blown away by this fight scene i thought it was incredible and it really reminded me of i don't know if you've watched it um but it's the sherlock holmes films that guy ritchie directed with um robert downey jr mm-hmm. and the fight scenes in that are incredible you get like the slow motion zoom ins and there were some scenes where 
um, Geralt punches one of the guys and you, it zooms in and his teeth knock out. And it just reminded me so much of that. And you get loads of signs, you get loads of Ard, loads of Quen. Very gory. Um, I know you've written here, somebody gets impaled. And I just, it was one of my favorite moments of the show. The I, I love impalement, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love a good action scene. And I, this, this was uh, very satisfying. It also reminded me of Kingsman. I haven't seen Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes films, oh, but to. to me, so it was okay. like Kingsman very much. Oh, that's right. The Kingsman, the uh, the church scene. The church the, the, scene. Yeah. Um, they, they have so many scenes that are like that. So, oh, that that's the one yeah. that really stuck out to me. That movie is Matthew Vaughn, who is a, like a protege of Guy Ritchie. The, oh. Kings, the Kingsman guy. Yeah, I think he was an executive producer and worked on like the Guy Ritchie films. These guys that did Kick-Ass also. So it has that kind of highly stylized kind of thing. I think that's all Matthew Vaughn, too. Another thing that stuck out to me was when everyone shows up, the end just goes, nice scar, shithead. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so yeah, good. yeah, just no chill in that way. And Rince, God, that dude, I had, I must have taken that out when we talked about it. But that Chris Fulton, he might be my favorite person oh from my season God. two. <laughs> He's you don't so like good, him, right? Do you not like him, or you no, like him? I do. Okay, I have. Oh my god, I have so many thoughts on this. You, let <laughs> okay. me go, let, go, do it. Do it. Do it. Because I love. Oh my. Okay, let's hear him. Rinse is my favorite character to fucking hate in the books because he's yes. an idiot. He's moronic. He's the dumbest person you've ever met in your, in your entire life, okay, and he I, tries I, yeah, so okay, hard. Yeah. But okay, I'm. I feel almost cheated that I don't get to hate him as much in the Netflix show because he seems legitimately terrifying. And Chris okay. Hansen, the actor, yeah. has done an incredible job. Our first scene of him when we had the gratuitous like body shot and he was just slinked mm -hmm. in oil. I was like, why are you doing this? This feels like this is i want to hate him i want to hate him why are you making him legitimately scary <laughs> he's ripped he's a hot yeah. guy god yeah, yeah. i they think have so many hot actors already they didn't need to add anyone. oh we we we're on the record for that everybody is just stupidly attractive and hot oh and, just like yeah. buy panic for me at all times yeah. always gonna watch the show i think i think did, did you call him chris hansen no, Chris Fulton. Okay, I thought. Okay, I thought you said Chris Hansen, and Chris Hansen's the To Catch a Predator guy, and I was like, <laughs> Oh no, I don't think I said that. <laughs> okay, I don't know. I probably, I probably no, misheard it. Did. Okay, I think it's Chris Hansen. I'm like, Oh man, did she get? Was that like a point and slipped it? But he's not. There are a bunch of like kid touchers in The Witcher, but Rince isn't. So he's not. So I don't know if that was like a Freudian slip uh... there. No, because I, I didn't. I didn't know who Chris Hansen was. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it's probably a little bit before your time. Yeah, that's the To Catch a Predator guy, though. We have a seat right there. It's yeah, good that you don't know that. who that is. Okay, good. Y'all don't need to. Don't Google it either. Don't Google Chris Hansen. I'm not a true crime person. Okay. So, well, this was yeah. a, this was uh, it was a big sting. They would always do it for child porn. Like this would be adults who would message like 14 year olds and want to meet up with them. And instead Fuck of that noise, no. Instead of meeting up with a 14 year old, they'd meet up with Chris Hansen and Dateline. And you could, it's, it's one of those, they'd come in, he'd walk in, and you would just see their life end before their eyes. It's even though they're horrible people, it's just the most, anyway, yeah, don't, yeah, anyway, super cringy, but they're bad people. But yeah, we'll get this to, um, cut out. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe some stuff I do, some stuff I don't, depends on if I think it's like, wait a minute, a tangent, tangents like mm -hmm. that can be that way. Usually it's the, uh, I don't cut too much out. I'll cut out a lot of time or if someone's yeah. just, if someone's going, mm, well, and then they go into it. I'll cut that part out. See, now I might cut this part out, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll really just tighten things up. And I always joke yeah. about not editing or how much I don't edit. In reality, I edit 
you know, however long it takes. It'll take if it's an oh, hour. I and a, balls to the wall. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. If it's an hour and a half episode, I'm editing for two hours. You know, so it's oh, just that must I, be nice. <laughs> yeah, that, well, and that's the thing with with this. There's no music going in. We're not putting any clips. When we put more Witcher three clips in, that takes a little bit longer. But with this, it's like no, just talk about the fucking show, and then we'll get on there. But yeah, so I love rinse. I do want to get okay. Perfect. That leads into the next segue. So we get to Care Morin, and with this, we'll kind of have Care Morin, Triss, Rince, and Lydia, all of them kind of together. You're absolutely right about Rince from the books. He's a dope, and he knows who he's working for. In the show, he doesn't know who he's working for, and it's I'll kind of find out. Yeah, and it's kind of obvious to everybody that he's not good enough or powerful enough that there's somebody behind him. He is an absolute badass in the show, mm-hmm. and he yeah. teleports into Care Morin of all places. And proceeds to just toss Triss and Vesemir in the dumpster. And this was, I don't know what, as much as I love him, and I know this is to show, hey, he's a badass. For him to just absolutely wreck of mage and a witcher, is, is, is is it a bit too far? Or am I, am I just kind of being unfair? I think it was a bit of a stretch. Um, but this is also me speaking as a fan of, as an existing fan and not as a show only fan. Um, I do think it was a bit of a stretch, one, for a number of reasons. One, because Care Morin's meant to be, like, impregnable. Also, like, no one knows where it is. Um, so that was one yeah. of those things that, throughout the season, everyone's teleporting and everyone's all over the <laughs> continent throughout the season. So it was kind of surprising to have, especially such a brief moment, um, that turns the course of the rest of the season, um, happen like this. So that, to me, felt a little weird, um... I'm not surprised that he's quite strong, uh, especially given, I think, Triss's uh, terror of fire after what happened to her yeah. at the Battle of Sodden. I think it makes sense. Um, Vesemir has nothing to defend himself with. Himself with. He breaks a broom in half and, and Rince heats those up immediately. Given the context, I guess it makes sense for the storylines that they were creating, but I would say, like, if I were to change anything... Um, I would have liked to see Rince's storyline play out throughout the whole season and for him to be the main villain of season two, which I think would have been really strong um, as opposed to Bull of Mare. I think I would have bought it more if it would have been somebody's empowering him and there's somebody even more powerful that allows him to do things or maybe has taught him or i don't know other than empowered of what it is like it is in the books like he's doing these things and they're like well he's not that good but here he's he's a mage who got caught by calantha for Mm -hmm. you know all of that and he's and again i guess i guess my hold up with the witchers not just in the show just in general are they're supposed to be like super fucking human and i know he didn't have a sword but he he got he got dispatched pretty easily right and again this rinse is not supposed to be from what i've gathered this well-known all-powerful mage he's, he's he's a mage he's got fire magic which is a lot more special in the show it just seemed you're right it's it just a stretch in a bit far that he is this powerful without the person maybe behind him but i don't i don't know lucy what'd you think well i didn't really have any preconceived notion of who this character was and i got the impression that he's been locked up because he's so powerful you don't really get much backstory as to why he's in prison apart from that he crossed Calanthe and I kind of got the impression that he's super powerful so he's been and he's obviously got this fire magic so that he's been locked up for people's safety and now Lydia's come and let him out so I 
I had this impression built up that he's this super powerful mage, so it didn't seem out of place to me that he was able to go and um, take the mutagen from Kaer Morhen. And I thought what you said as well, Alyssa, about how Triss is obviously super scarred from, uh, like, physically and mentally from this fire, so he would easily be able to scare her and get away pretty easily from Kaer Morhen. But the, the one thing that did annoy me is... None of the other witchers turned up, and I don't know, did their medallions start humming when uh, Vesemir's did? And, like, Triss has to call for Lambert. I know it's just to continue, yeah. like, to progress the story, yeah. but I was thinking, where are they? Like, why has nobody come to help him? I mean, it's such a strange place to to have t- teleported into. Like, in why the laboratory, laboratory of yeah. all places? Yeah. Why not the front yeah. door? <laughs> why not anywhere mm-hmm. else? If you were looking for this princess, like why there i don't know the whole like it just i feel like you have to suspend disbelief a little bit um and then just kind of like keep watching (laughs) yeah it's happened a few times hasn't it like where Geralt shows up just at the right moment when vesemir is about to do the trials all those little kind of hollywood it's holly yeah yeah Because he wasn't actually there to get that mutagen and her blood, no. right? He no, was there to actually get Siri. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because when I first watched it, I remember thinking, like, how did he know that was there? And then on the second watch, it's, oh, it was just an opportunity mm-hmm. that while he was there. But yeah. But like, why would you pick something up off the floor like that? It's that a, he didn't yeah. know? It's a vial of yeah. black. It looks like ink. Honestly. Black goo. So, like, <laughs> of all the things in that room, he just grabbed that one. Yeah, no, this yeah. definitely seemed like you talked about. It's kind of a running joke I've made with Abu on Winds Howling is that he's just everywhere, that he's wherever he needs to be. And he shows yeah. up to Care Morin. He shows up to the te- the temple with the Michelet brothers. And we joked that he would eventually end up in uh, Eretuza to get, <laughs> just for whatever reason. That's because I think Brangilla, uh, Frangilla yeah, teleports there. <laughs> yeah, and it's in, yeah, and I think it is just one of those. Could be just a lack of time. They didn't have enough episodes, and it's like, look, we'll just have to do it for this one. They'll yeah. get what they need, and we'll have the we'll have the players all be there. But his partner right now, Lydia. I'm loving Lydia. Also, she makes me so yes. uncomfortable. I quite like her. This was obviously very unexpected coming from the books. Um, she appears, I believe, in Blood of Elves chapter five for the first time, um, and she's you know very compelling. Uh, in a in a very different way, just because of who the character is in the books, um, and the challenges that she has there, and the loyalties that she has there. So it's interesting to see a much more dynamic character and be independent and acting independently in the show because we never get that in the books. I'm sort of yeah, I know what you mean. She she's very unsettling. I don't really have any idea who she is or what she's about at the moment. So I'm intrigued to see where it goes and how she ended up working for who she's working for but yeah she's very strange and i like that about her they can act on their own and rinse is kind of calling his own shots here saying you know i I get to meet whoever it is and withholds the mutagen so he kind of seems to be he's definitely more put together he's terrified his reactions and like the reaction he has when they call him firefucker and uh oh. sh- uh shithead and the way he looks i'm like god that's perfect like he knows I they're mean, making fun of him but it's just like what shut the fuck up let's let's fight 
I mean, like, something that I had written here as well, it's, like, every single ensemble character is doing, like, the most. The actors are so good in this episode, mm-hmm. like, Chris Fulton as Rince, um, also Lydia, and everyone else we meet are doing such a good job at, like, bringing their characters to life and making them as authentic as they could possibly be and as committed as they could possibly be, and it's it's fantastic. I really love it. Yeah, it's like so beyond just being about Siri, Geralt, and Yen in this episode in particular. Like, there's several different groups of characters that we bounce between, and everybody holds their own in this in this episode. I think. And I'm not just saying it because you can say we're angling uh, to get them on to interview, but <laughs> there isn't a performance that I look at and I'm just like, oh god, that they went wrong yeah. on that casting, or just bad, or really out of place. And it's a little bit different now going back and watching Francesca scenes and Misha Simpson, because this is her first major role. She hasn't been acting very long. And I just watch her and I'm like, she's probably getting scale, like the minimum, because again, she's not a very well-known actor and it's her first role. And she's just incredible. She's so good. And the she ca- knocks it out of the it's park. It's unbelievable. And I believe it's Sophie Holland is the caster, right? The casting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. holy yeah. shit, what an unbelievable job. That she has done because I just think of all the issues that I may have with the show, the performances and the acting is not one of them. And if they would have just missed on a couple of them, this show is dramatically worse. And they have just knocked it out of the park on all of them. And I'm just so grateful yeah. for that. We're so lucky. Yeah. I mean, even like the other characters who see Phil Evangel and Francesca's scenes are incredible in this episode. Codringer and Fenner are fucking joy. They're <laughs> fantastic. Um, and then same thing with Istrid. When you throw him into there as a straight man, like it's it's great. Istrid, Yara oh is just like I, I couldn't be mad at Yara even if he's not what I imagined. He's also exactly what I imagined at the same time. Oh, he and he was great. Like he's all, exactly all these actors what, are fantastic. Yeah. The bowl cut's what did it for me. I was like, why does he have the bowl cut? And then I and then I accepted it. <laughs> he's nervous. He's instantly like crushing and out of his element. Oh, I thought I thought Yara was spot on. I loved it. They're just so descriptive with him in the books that I was like, oh. <laughs> down to the down to the single hair that comes out of the mole on his chin, and it's like, oh god. Yeah, that's true. If somebody liked Yara. The casting of putting it in, they're like, we're we're gonna hit this. We're gonna remember that in a couple of years when he comes back. <laughs> oh my god. All right, so elsewhere at Caremorin, Lambert gets on to Triss, and I'm like, okay, we're gonna see Lambert go at Triss, and then he apologizes, and I'm like, oh. They've really downplayed because that's the one thing from the books is he's, he's he's a prick. He's rough around the edges, but he's especially harsh to Triss. And to hear they're just like, oh, he's he's going to be nice. He's going to be nicer. He like apologizes that he snapped at him. Yep. Yeah, that's <laughs> I don't think I have anything else to say <laughs> yeah, about it. that. Like, yep. Yep. He just does it. I don't know. So. I wasn't expecting him to apologize, to be fair, because I have heard yeah. from Brett that he's especially nasty Maybe not nasty, yeah. but um, a bit of a prick, like we say, to Triss. And yeah, for him to turn around straight away and apologize, I did. I, I thought it was going to go further. I thought he was going to poke her more before turning around and uh, saying sorry. Well, I'm sure you guys can ask him about that um, mm. when we get him on in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Hey, why were you just mean to Siri <laughs> and go to there? Uh, but Triss, Triss tells Vesemir this mutagen is gone. And the only reason I'm putting this in is because Vesemir is sad. And Lucy, oh, if you no. didn't cry at Roach, I'm sure you shed a tear for yeah. sad There's Vesemir. There is just something about Vesemir when he's got a sad face. And it just breaks my heart. And he's so it. sad. Yeah, he's just so sad. and dis- I feel like he's dis- the thing that makes it sad is I think he's disappointed in himself. 
for what happened and that really plucks up my heartstrings because he is in a desperate situation. I don't agree yeah. with what he did. I don't agree with Fez, but I feel sad that he's got to this point. It's a lot of failures too, just Eskel yeah. dying. Yeah. Now he's lost the mutagens. So now there's no hope again yeah, for more exactly. trials. So a bad, a bad couple of days for Vesemir. <laughs> Triss heads to Eretus, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because Queen Tissaia is on screen, and I will always talk about Tissaia. She's warned that Triss that a drop of blood could destroy the world. So Triss is very weary of Ciri's power right now, and uh, Tissaia. So I, d- I just want to talk about Tissaia. How, how have you liked it? fantastic. Yeah, okay. Oh my god. And in this scene especially, the acting that she does with her face before Triss even walks into the scene is incredible. It's so subtle and so nuanced, and she doesn't even say a word. I I adore Mayanna Burring. I think she's yeah. lovely in yeah. this role. She does it, and it's honestly, I think it's her last scene of the season that it's that same way. It's just the look she has tells hours of storytelling. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she another one just out of the damn park. On to two codgers, and I was going to sing this out of the out in the West Sumerian town of Dorian. If you played New Vegas, you know that. Old Marty Robbins. They didn't say that it was Dorian here, but that's where they are in the books. Codringer and Finn. And yes, these two are just amazing. They're so good. They're so good. It's unreal. Like, And they're everything I could have possibly imagined them to be from the books as well. But they're basically here to drop a ton of exposition yeah. with Istrid. And Istrid basically hires them and they're like, we're very expensive. Oh, we've got Nilfgaardian marks. And he's like, okay, well, I'm sure you got a lot of work to do. And they already know who Siri is. Mm-hmm. And I love that this cut down on, they already had some exposition, but I feel that this is a way to cut down on screen time. And it shows not only they're very smart, but maybe they've already been looking into her as well. So mm-hmm. add two more people that are into the business of Cyrilla, Fiona, Ellen, Rhiannon. Istrid's storyline in season two, I feel like makes so much sense for his character and for the way that they've built him up from season one. And I think having him meet Kadrinir and Fenn either first or to be the only character to really get to work with them, um, I do think makes a lot of sense. And I do like that change from the books. I love that he's used because he's, you know, into his research and stuff. So I think for him to be used as the the character that's going to get the audience up to speed on all the lore as such that we're missing out on. Because it happened in the last episode as well. He's by himself, but he's talking out loud, speaking to this statue, just telling people what's happening, basically. So I think he's the perfect character to do that. And it, I loved this scene. I didn't un- I didn't know who Codringer and Fenn were, but I really liked the scene with them. I thought they were... I loved their little dynamic between them. Um, it's mm-hmm. quite a cheeky relationship. And the way they researched and found out all this information together worked really well i like that they alluded to also that codringer was by himself and fen was the cat because that was another thing is initially from the books that it was fen was the one that they didn't never saw right like nobody ever saw yeah okay so nobody ever saw fen and they assumed that fen was either fake or dead um if i remember incorrectly it's been a while since i read time of contempt um, but yeah, Codringer was the one who was always the face of the business. So it was, Ben was always a mystery. So I nice, yeah. it's nice that we get both. Another thing they mention here is Lara Doran drew her last breath and said, my curse will hound your descendants until the 10th generation, until the columns of time and space tremble and open for my people. And then my vengeance will be born again. 
a lot of prophecy. I usually don't like that, but for some reason in The Witcher, Ithlian's prophecy and all this, I really do like. And they're laying more groundwork here of Ithlian's prophecy. And Siri actually starts to say that back in or right before the Michelet brothers and all that kind of goes down. And I don't know. Maybe this will tie to Siri. Otherwise, why would they say it? <laughs> but anything with Laura Doran, I'm here for. Because I think we'll yeah, actually. I'm excited. I'm excited to see more of that. Definitely, we got a little glimpse of it when uh, Siri and Triss do the what do they call it? Like a doll, doll dusha, something. Like yeah. Um, yeah. see a little glimpse of her there. She looks really cool. Um, I don't, I don't really know what more to say about it at the moment. I'm intrigued to see more. All right, last part, listen, because we know we need to get through it real quick. Sintra. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, what did you think of Sintra? This Nilfgaardian Elven Alliance. So the Nilfgaard Elven Alliance, I actually personally thought was one of the strongest storylines in the show. Again, same thing I think with Yennefer. If you scoot aside Volithmere and imagine for a second that they had agency and did this by themselves, it would be a little bit better. But the Nilfgaardian Elven Alliance is something that we see in the books, but we never see the origin of it. Not not really. Um, so it was really cool to see this uh, be born of like genuine female friendship. Um Again, genuine in quotes, Volithmer, <laughs> whatever. But I really do like the way that um, Fringilla and Francesca were paired throughout the season. Um, and I thought that it worked with both their characters' motivations as well as just the actors' dynamic super, super well. And I enjoyed it very much. So, yeah. I love those two as well. I think you're right. Like, whenever they're just speaking at uh, Fringilla's desk and they're just saying... I've had leaders, I've had followers, but I've never had a partner. At one point, I thought they had a little, like a little crush on each other because she you saw her see, fly where Lucy, they were giggling. Lucy, you think that about all of them. I do. <laughs> you I want everybody to hook up. Crush. I'm like, just get together already. But those two in particular, I love them. And then obviously we get Kahir coming back at this point. And right. honestly, I rewatched this episode yesterday and I see Kahir so differently after watching the Witchinary video that Netflix posted because Eamon Farron is just so funny <laughs> and before watching that I just I've always thought he was very stern yeah. very scary he's very intimidating and now I just think of him sitting there going <laughs> so funny it's acting it's very, he's a very good actor he's so yeah. he is so serious mm. but again plays it well the one thing that I yeah. did maybe not like but appreciate is Francesca is kind of driving this wedge here. She's loyal to Fringilla. Fringilla is the one who really brought the elves there. And now Kyer comes back. And apparently, I guess because he's a military leader, he now outranks Fringilla. And it kind of leaves him in a precarious situation. The elves, uh, Francesca has the baby. And oh, I just had those little baby elven prosthetic ears. <laughs> yeah, they're super so sweet. He's <laughs> a little baby. I well, I hope nothing happens to that baby. Mm. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, That'd be awful. Yeah, the elves celebrate long into the night. Now that's a party I want to go to. I want to party with some elves who have good. just had mm -hmm. the first baby and God knows how long. That that's a party right there. I don't know what they drink though. I've never heard of any elven spirit. Maybe they just we'll get the dwarven spirits. Yeah, that'll be the pertinent thing. Hey, hey, what do y'all drink? Like what the fuck? What? <laughs> it's a character. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to block y'all now. I think, though, I think that kind of covers the episode. Yay or nay, you liked it or not? Yes, loved this episode. There was a lot of jumping around between different 
groups of characters, which I don't usually like, but because everyone held their own so well, I thought it was a really great episode. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that all of the characters were just so strong and all the actors were so strong. And even though there were so many scenes and there was a lot to keep track of, they did a really great job with what they were given, I think, uh, from the production all the way through to acting and development. All right, Alyssa, thank you so much for being here. I We could probably talk for hours upon hours <laughs> upon hours. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But again, thank you so much. Real quick, where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So again, my name's Alyssa. You can find me at breakfastinbeauclair.com, at breakfastinbeauclair on Instagram, on uh, TikTok, on Facebook, and at Pod at Twitter as well. Um, if you want to join the Hansa Discord and you want to learn more about D&D or get involved with our community, you could do so at bit.ly slash the Hansa Discord. Awesome. And all of those links will be down there. We'll include the Discord one as well. So y'all make sure to go Check those out. Lucy, where can people find you? I am Lucy J. Robin on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and we'll pop my Discord link in there as well. All right. You can find me at the Fox Bride 4 on Twitter and Twitch at the Fox Bride. And again, y'all, make sure you check out the new Instagram page. We hope to have Ooh. actually quality content there, not memes about Philippa's sexuality gay cat that i put up there those will stay on twitter <laughs> all right join us next time as we discuss episode seven the penultimate episode voleth mirror